Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Accord Research Alliance podcast, where we talk with innovators who are committed to measuring what matters in Christ-centered relief and development. I'm one of the three hosts for this podcast. My name is Nathan Maloney. I work at Living Water International, so hello from Houston. Uh, If this is your first podcast, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to previous episodes, uh, a couple interviews by myself, and then uh, Kristen and Rodney as well have had great interviews, and I think you'll find those interesting. And if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to this to make sure you get the latest episodes whenever they come out. We have a great lineup for 2018 already. Uh, We have some great interviews lined up and more that we would like to line up. But uh, go ahead and email us any ideas that you have uh, for people we should be talking to or if there are specific topic ideas that you have of saying, I would really love to hear from someone who's had experience with using this type of research methodology. Send us an email at ara at accordnetwork.org. Let us hear your thoughts for that and just any feedback you have in general, we would love to hear it. So today is a fun conversation for me because I'm talking with both a former colleague and a friend, Dowdy Msema, who is a field operations director for Convoy of Hope. And I wanted to talk with Dowdy because probably starting about maybe two years ago, we had an idea for an impact evaluation that we could do for a women's economic empowerment project in Ethiopia. And uh, as him and I worked on that together, kind of brainstormed, came up with ideas for, you know, for how we would do it. Um, we also started to, you know, approach the staff in Ethiopia. And I was really curious to kind of follow up and hear what Dowdy's thoughts were, you know, about some of the lessons we learned along the way uh, with introducing the idea of an impact evaluation to operational staff who are already, you know, stretched to capacity and it would be something that's not required by a grant or anything like that, what would the reaction be? So he has really interesting perspective, both his own perspective of it and then um, what it was like to introduce the idea and work through some issues with staff who maybe have some questions, let's say, at the outset of it. So we'll be talking about that. Also, even how getting to see some of the results perhaps change the perspective of uh, some of the operational staff toward the value of impact evaluations. And uh, he's also just going to share some of the results from the study. You know, the methodology of the study was uh, fairly interesting. And so we'll talk about that, but then hear some of the results as well. And so I think you'll enjoy it. I think there's some lessons in here for all of us as we think about how do we go about gathering evidence and measuring what matters. So with that, let's get started. Some people are very coldly scientific, and some people are the opposite. Most of us fit somewhere in between, but we fall in different points on that spectrum. Well, thank you for joining me, Dowdy. I'm excited to have this conversation, and um, maybe we can start. uh, Just if you could tell me a little bit more about Convoy of Hope and your role there. I'm so excited to be on the podcast. First Convoy of Hope is an international development and relief organization. 
and it's faith-based in all of the countries where it's allowed to be faith-based. And we want to see healthy, well-nourished families. Internationally, we have programs that focus on children's nutrition, women's empowerment, agriculture, and disaster services. And about me, my title is Regional Field Operations Director for Africa and Asia. That's awesome. So I and I've gotten to see uh, obviously the work firsthand and and your passion for it. Um, and and today we're going to be talking, really diving into one of the one of the program areas for Convoy, which is the Women's Empowerment Program, and more specifically this project in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. So can you tell us a little bit more about this this program and in this in this project specifically? kind of the history of it and what it's uh, hoping to accomplish. Yeah, the women participants, they receive training from our curriculum. They receive a small amount of startup capital in kind as a grant, not a loan, as a grant. And then we have intensive monitoring for six to 12 months after that. And we do monitoring visits about once or twice a week. And the program in particular that we're talking about in Addis started in 2010. It was funded by a three-year USAID grant. And during that time, about well, not about, exactly 1,200 women went through the program. And then after the grant, it was p- privately funded through Convoy of Hope. And now we've had more than 2,800 women go through it. Great. So as you're mentioning, so you're really focused on the operations and, and working with the country staff. So I'm just kind of curious, um, now looking back, when I came to you with this idea of saying, hey, can, can we look at doing an impact evaluation? You know, let's look at uh, some of the women who graduated out of the program you know, back in 2012 and kind of seeing where they're at four years later. What was your initial reaction to that? I mean, what thoughts did you have? Is this something that you kind of jumped on, were excited about? Did you have concerns, hesitations? I'm um, just Kind of looking back now, I'm kind of curious myself what what your initial reaction to this was. <laughs> yeah, so I had two initial reactions. First, I was really excited because we we were confident in and in, in the work that was happening, and we've heard all of these great stories, and we get to see participants and see the change that happens. So quantifying that was really exciting. Um, I was worried that it was going to be really expensive by hiring an external consultant, but that was really important to make it independent and unbiased. So it's totally worth it. Yeah. So as as a follow up to that, I guess that was your reaction. What would you say the reaction of the country office and the staff in Ethiopia was to the idea of this? Well, some were really excited like me, but initially not everybody saw the value in it. Um, In hindsight, making sure that we were all together before starting it would have been, um, would have been helpful. Mm -hmm. So um, when I realized that not everybody was together, I made it a mission to be in consensus with the staff who didn't see value in it. And so we coordinated, we had meetings, we discussed it with them, but we coordinated with the external consultant in that, our Ethiopia's leadership and our headquarters staff. After that, things went a lot smoother. Mm-hmm. So 
initially, I guess I'm kind of curious, why, why would you think they didn't see the value? Was it more so, you know, they saw it as a distraction perhaps from the work uh, that they were doing and they knew it was good work? Or do you think that being so closely tied to the actual project itself and to these women that they knew the impact firsthand and, and didn't really see a need to um, try and quantify that or evaluate that independently? Or what, what do you think some of the initial concern was coming from? I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, Nathan. It's like there's the work is exhausting and complicated and so many. It's not just training women and giving them startup capital, but it's it's coming alongside them and being there with them through the difficult parts of of life. And uh, it's it's a lot of work and it's really tiring. So I think that the distraction element was part of it. That it was seen as something like, hey, we already know it's great. Why do we need to spend all of this time and energy finding out again? Then there's also the fact that some people are very coldly scientific and some people are the opposite. I guess when I say scientific, I mean in terms of scientific inquiry, but proving hypotheses and not being content with anecdotal evidence. Most of us fit somewhere in between, but we fall in different points on that spectrum. So there were some people who didn't see the value in the the effort to make it scientific in nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I'm not going to ask you where you think I fall on the spectrum of coldly scientific to, <laughs> <laughs> to not. But um, yeah, I think that is a, is a challenge and, and something to consider is that for those of us uh, perhaps that are thinking about uh, empirical evidence and, and trying to prove impact, it's important for us to understand that we're not always on the same page with the rest of our teams on perhaps even the value of empirical research and kind of that, that harder scientific approach uh, that you're talking about. And so, uh, yeah, so I think there's challenges with that uh, that have to be thought through. You can't just go in assuming everyone's on the same page with that and not that That's right. you even necessarily even want everyone to be on that same page, but uh, you have to realize uh, that that could be a barrier to things running smoothly. Um, so yeah, we want to have diversity of thought, but there are ways to bring in people into into not into the fold, just like bringing in people to have them be part of the process. Mm-hmm. Which that's something that I would have spent a lot more time doing mm-hmm. on the front end rather than in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, no. um, and not just staff, but even participants themselves and volunteers, they can be involved with learning about why we want to collect the information and d- discussing about the best ways to get it and some of the challenges, or even asking for ideas from from them, from participants, from volunteers and staff. What exactly do we do? You need to know about the program in order to thrive more as a participant or as a staff member or Mm -hmm. as the manager or whatever the case. Yeah, I think um, things... So we got... Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, I think um, that's an important point there. And I want to stay on that just for a second because I think things started to change a little bit on our first trip there when we took some time and really just walked through what was the kind of information we would want to collect uh, in this evaluation through surveys um, and allowing staff to speak into that 
I think probably increase buy-in a little bit more in the in the project overall. Um, at least that's my perspective. You might have seen it differently, but um, but I think that's an important no. point. And uh, it's always something you you know we probably could have done more of that, but um, I think the little bit that we did turned out to be helpful. Yeah, totally. That went a long way. So, um, and I, if you want me to jump in at any point on this next question, I'm, I'm happy to do that uh, to fill in any gaps there. But can you summarize briefly the methodology for this impact evaluation? Yeah, we had 1,200 participants. And so we did some math and determined that a good sample size would be 120 for participants. We needed a control group which were determined to be 60 participants, uh, 60 non-participants from the same community. And they were chosen with the help of local government and the, and our field staff who were, and our consultant. They were chosen to be representative of the community and our participants broadly are rep- representative of the community. Okay, so just to add a little bit there, um, I would say, so these were participants who had completed the, the program in 2012, would have been the latest, uh, so somewhere between 2011 and 2012 for all 1,200, and this research, the, the data was collected in 2016, so it was four years later, and uh, the idea, because there was a you know, end-of-project evaluation in 2012, but uh, the idea and really the motivating factor was, you know, do these changes last? Um, so, you know, is there perhaps just an initial, you know, increase in terms of income and capital and, um, you know, some of the other areas that would fade over time? Or have women really maybe taken a step up the ladder, so to speak, and remained there and continued to thrive beyond the, beyond the program? And so, so that's what this was really trying to assess, and uh, the idea of the comparison group uh, that you were mentioning was really something that kind of came later in the process. I think there was an initial idea of maybe we could find, kind of after the fact, a comparison group and do you know an element of comparison, but once we started spending time in Audis and understanding more of how initial program participants were selected and the type of record keeping uh, that is done by the government and things like that, realized that it would be pretty reasonable to form a comparison group even after the fact to try and give uh, a better perspective on the impact and the changes beyond just you know looking at uh, where women were today compared to baseline uh, for those who participated. So, so that was kind of an interesting element that got added to the project and the methodology along the way. You have to be a little bit cautious about the results, but it's, it does add a nice element of comparison to this overall. So uh, with that, what are a couple key results? Yeah, the first is monthly income. $43 was the control group's um, average monthly income at the time of the assessment in 2016. And we would have been excited if it were, if the participants' income was 50% higher or 80% higher, but it was was $107 per month. Um, Another 
a few others that go along are the percentage who say their income is much higher now than it was six years ago. Um, for the control group, it's 21%. For participants, it's 85%. Percent who say they have cash savings, it's 29% for control and 72 for participants. So those uh, financial ones, you can see a pretty big difference. But there are even others that are more exciting related to self-efficacy. And one of them is those who say they're more respected at home now than they were five years ago. For the control, it was 57%. And for participants, it was 90%. Wow. Mm-hmm. So when we go through with home ownership, those who feel that they're equipped to find solutions to life's challenges, those who say that they weren't able to eat their preferred food for lack of resources, um, the differences are huge. And so we're able to to show a difference not only in the amount of available cash that these women have in their families, in their households, but even the quality of life that they live. Wonderful. Wow. So yeah, pretty pretty impressive results overall, really across the board, not just on the economic indicators, but um, also more on the, on the social. And, and uh, I guess my question is, with these initial results in hand, what has been the reaction uh, from the team in Ethiopia? Is this something that perhaps, are there any areas they were surprised about? Or is this something that they just kind of knew and said, great, now you have the numbers to prove it, or, uh, I mean, what was kind of the initial reaction to this? <laughs> yeah, there was some of that. They weren't surprised because they had had they had those anecdotal uh, cases, that that kind of evidence that they've been hearing for years. And so, um, to some extent, they weren't surprised. But there were other results that were better than expected, especially those involving health and awareness and leadership there's such a big difference in how the participants see themselves. And I think that was a really pleasant surprise for our some of our Ethiopia staff. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I guess my next question would be, how do you think this would impact the organization? So I know this was Convoy of Hope's uh, first impact evaluation like this uh, for any of its program. And so... Uh, do you think kind of seeing the results and the process and maybe having a bit more of the of the cold scientific facts uh, about impact will make the organization more interested in, in impact evaluations in the future? Or, uh, yeah, how do you think it's going to impact the organization? I think there's two ways. One is that um, I hope we do this across all of our programs. It'll help us to see the value in putting effort and resources into weighing these things, um, digging deeper in a scientific way. The other thing that I expect is that the results from this were so fantastic and amazing. I hope that we invest in our strength. So if we want to see healthy, well-nourished families, we have indicators here showing how the Women's Empowerment Program affects food insecurity in, in homes. And this is a really powerful and effective way to invest in women and their families. So I'm hoping we see more spending for women's empowerment. Yeah, and um, 
I hope so too. Um, I, I having seen the seen the program and the results of it, um, it's it's the kind of change that that is truly lasting. Um, I think, and so and this this evaluation helps helps show that uh, you know four or five years after any sort of intervention, uh, the, the gains that have been maintained and added upon. So uh, I think with that we'll, we'll probably wrap up. Um, so thanks again, and uh, I wish you. The best of luck with with this program. Hopefully, it'll be something that can uh, continue to scale up, and uh, also with this study itself, uh, hopefully, it'll find a nice home at a journal uh, somewhere soon, and, and we can all read it. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Nathan, and we hope to see you back in East Africa one of these days soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Saudi. Take care. <laughs>